you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to welcome Will Schaefer to the show today. Will, thank you for being here with me. Thank you, Kathy. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited for our conversation. And before we jump in, let me introduce you to Will. So Will Schaefer is currently VP of International Marketing at Beyond Meat, where he's been for seven years through the company's early growth and IPO. Will is a scrappy and free-thinking brand and business builder with a focus on driving next-level growth for mission-driven, consumer-led companies. He is also a champion of wellness, education, and empowerment initiatives, as well as related impact investing. Will has an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management and graduated Phi Beta Kappa with a BA in Humanities from the UT Austin. And I'm so excited to talk to Will today, and and I'm grateful that we share a mutual friend who is someone I reach out to when I'm Mm -hmm. always pondering career questions. And Will, I believe you and he serve as inspiration and sounding boards for each other on this life journey we're on. So I, I really thank him for reconnecting us and for you to be here to allow us to learn from you, your career experiences, and of course, what you've been up to with Beyond Meat. So uh, to start, I'd love to have you share just a high level view of your career journey, perhaps, and maybe even starting with like, well, we said, where did you go to, to college, which was at UT Austin, kind of like, and what kind of led you to this path of marketing? Sure. Well, I went to UT and I, I was in the humanities program there, but it was a program where you could put together your own major, basically interdisciplinary studies. And I call it sort of the Mr. Potato Head major. Uh, it's a program you had to apply to, um, give a theme. And my theme was meaning and motivation. Uh, and so I took courses all across the different departments at UT. That was one of the cool things that the program allowed you to do. So I took evolutionary biology and philosophy, psychology, sociology, some business and management courses like industrial psychology. And I was just really curious about like, why do people do what they do and where do they get the motivation to do it? And I wasn't thinking career at all at that point, but later on when I was at a bit of an early career crossroads, I kind of came back to it and I was just like, yeah, this is something that I think is foundational about a lot of marketers. I think that people who marketers tend to be people who want to understand why people do what they do and how to influence and motivate them. And of course that could be put to good uses or bad, but, um, so that was my major at UT. The, the quick sort of jumping forward is that I, I worked in real estate. That was my part-time job during college. And I did it for a year and a half after saved up a bunch of money, went off and backpacked for a year and a half through Latin America. Uh, you could call it a sabbatical, but it really, it's not really sabbatical at that point. It was just, Scratching the edge, something that I thought that if I didn't do then, I might not be able to do later. It certainly would be a different life stage. So I did, 
when I came back, I got a job in consulting for three years. And that's a great opportunity to learn a lot of things, get a lot of exposure. But I didn't love the lifestyle and just kind of being a consultant. You don't have as much ownership sometimes of like the, the final product, you know, giving recommendations. Not always true. But uh, with Accenture, the company I was working for, that kind of was the case. And so that's kind of when I got to that crossroads and a lot of reflection and even career testing. And like, what do I want to do? And it seemed like marketing checked a lot of boxes in terms of my you know, intellectual orientation, curiosity, um, the opportunity to use different parts of the brain, you know, strategic thinking, analytical thinking, creative thinking, all that I, I think were parts of how I like to, to think. Ah, oh, that's great. I just want to go back to the sab sabbatical. I'm going to put in quotes you said, but you you went off backpacking, which is fabulous. But what I find interesting and so appreciate is that you took some time and a consulting firm actually hired you. And yeah. the reason I'm pointing this out is that I often feel like, so I took a sabbatical and I try to keep it quiet because it seems like, it still seems like even in today's like overly busy world where so many of us get to a point of burnout, the sabbaticals seem to be looked down upon or these breaks, you know, might be viewed negatively. And it sounds like actually you were able to tell a compelling story. So how did that work for you? Was that a challenging mm. thing to explain the fact that you took that time to go backpack or was it that you were able to tell a story or was it something about Accenture and how they view talent that made that not an issue? Yeah, I think it's all of the above and some good timing too in terms of where the economy was. Uh, but I'll just share it. It also was not an easy thing to do for me. I mean, I had friends going off to start great careers post-UT and here I am still working my college job. So I explicitly so I could save the money and go travel. That was the plan. Um, but I gave myself a case of the shingles stressing out about <laughs> this choice. Like honestly, it's something that Maybe your listeners don't know, but shingles is typically people get like in their older years, the chicken, chicken pox virus comes back. It's not common among young people unless you're experiencing crazy amounts of stress and compromising your nervous system, which I think I was. I was so stressed about this choice, but my, you know, part of my heart was kind of calling to go do this international travel. And I, I, I stressed about, yeah, how am I going to weave this story when I come back? Uh, but I did it anyways. And then when I came back, um, you know, the economy was still good. Uh, and, and I was really lucky in terms of just being a strong job market. And, and like you said, the big consulting firms are typically looking for people who they think are just folks who can learn on the job and they can train, uh, to, to kind of be analysts, you know, grunt workers. And, and so that was the deal, but, uh, I will comment just cause it's fun. I dodged a bullet. I was also interviewing with Enron. Um, <laughs> and, um, and you know, it wasn't like they were just, I was in Houston and they were like one of the big companies in the area and like a hot company. And I didn't know what was coming with Enron. Um, but that worked out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, I just want to point this out too, because, it's interesting because when we, it often comes up and I can relate to this when you're at this path where, or this choice where your heart's calling you, but it's a divergent choice that mm -hmm. it often can be quite stressful. And I'm curious on the other side of it and having, okay, you went and you did it, you followed your heart, you did land and you found that job. 
when you think back on it now, if you were giving counsel to yourself at that stage when you were stressing about it, what what counsel might you provide yourself? I mean, the counsel probably would have been like, just, you know, don't stress, you know, like you there, you have the creativity and the resources um, to figure out a way, you know, and um, but but that advice, I don't know how effective that advice would have been. Like when I was younger, I always hated the advice like, oh, don't stress. It's all going to work out like there's in fact, that's kind of triggering for a lot of people. And I think that might have been triggering. It's like a little bit of like, oh, well, that's really easy to for you to say, you know, you who probably is further along in your career and things have worked out for uh, so I, yeah, I don't know if that advice would have worked. And I think, I think I got some good advice from one of my mentors at the time who was just, you know, uh, basically said, you know, it's generally better if you feel really called to do something like this, it's generally better to, um, potentially regret, you know, you don't want to regret not doing it. It's mm. probably better to regret to be like, okay, I took the choice. It was informed by my values and really what was my heart was calling to me. And it's so, so much better to know you know, uh, if it didn't work out, know that you tried it. In my case, uh, I did it. I was really glad I did it. Uh, it worked out. And as the, year, as the years have gone on, I've been even more grateful that I, I made that choice and did it because it just wouldn't be the same if I did it now. Yeah, that's fabulous. Well, and then you said you did, I just want to spend a little bit of time on this too, because you said you did some career testing before mm -hmm. you then landed on the path to marketing. Do you mind just sharing like, what were a couple of examples of the career testing that you did? Yeah. Well, I'd done a bunch at UT Austin when I was still there, but the one I, I did or maybe revisited, I don't exactly remember when I came back. Um, it was a book called Do What You Are that is anchored in the Myers-Briggs. Uh, it's a great book. I still recommend it. I know there's some debate these days around personality and vocational tests and their use, but I found it very useful. Um, it, you, you take the Myers, there's a simple typing test at the front of the book, the Myers-Briggs, and then for each of the 16 personality types, it breaks out what are um, what, what are typical strengths of this type, what are watchouts, and what are career, what are examples of careers that a lot of people with this type tend to find satisfying. And there's so many, you know, probably a hundred for each. It's not prescriptive, but I did go through that list for my type, which is an I E N T J, although I think I'm borderline I now. Um and, and, you know, the marketing and, and sort of the creative strategic type areas was something that kept rising to the top. And, and, and as I reflected on the stuff I shared earlier about my major and curiosity about why people do what they do, it just seemed like marketing was a, a good direction for me, at least as a starting point. Mm, yeah, that's great. So then if we, I know there's a lot of steps in between, you know, there and then getting to Beyond Meat, but what ultimately brought you to your current role at Beyond Meat? What were some of the things that put you on that trajectory? Yeah, I'd say, you know, kind of two big things. First was just, I had become vegetarian about 10 years ago and, um, and I wasn't super satisfied with my work up until that point in marketing of just working on everyday products. Uh, I really was just personally someone who needed to feel like I was doing something more mission oriented tied to my values. And um, so, so that definitely pointed me in that direction. I was, I was asking myself real explicitly, how can I perhaps work for a plant-based type company? And then I, there's, 
you know, detours in between, which we can come back and talk to, uh, talk about if it's of interest. But essentially I started consulting, uh, as a way to get some food experience under my belt. And also I was hoping some plant-based type experience. And so that's when I kind of hung my own shingle, created a little company called Evolver Consulting. It was just me, you know, but you know, you create a little brand and, and I got, uh, at least several, several gigs, two of which were sort of, well, they were all plant-based, but like one of them was more explicitly, like I worked uh, with a vegan dog food company, <laughs> which is a super cool experience. Um, and then a juice company. And then just through networking, I, I, I met uh, one of the co-founders of Beyond Meat. And this is back in 2013, uh, before they were even really trying to build a marketing team in earnest. Um, but I just met with him to say like, hey, I love what you're doing. I'm not looking for a job. Typical informational interviewing narratives. Uh, but it was true at the time. I had a good job I liked, but I was super interested in what they were doing and where they were going. And I wanted to know more. And a year later uh, is actually when they opened up a director of marketing opportunity that ultimately is uh, you know, the role I took coming into the company. So um, that is, that's kind of how I landed at Beyond Meat. Yeah. Wow. I want to go back to a couple of things that you point out in that story and that evolution. And one is it goes back to the meaning piece. And it's interesting to me that you both studied that in college mm -hmm. and then you pulled that through. And it does seem like you, you steered and you just shared, you steered your career towards a path that was aligned a bit more with your values and working with mission-driven companies. And it's interesting because I think sometimes people think that that is hard, despite the fact that so many people are looking for that right now. And I'm curious just either how you made that a priority for you or if you found that difficult at all or how you kind of might counsel people around, hey, if you have either a value alignment that you want to be making, here's how to think about that as you're thinking about building your next career choices. Yeah, I, I think to some extent, I, I, I think there are people who feel a stronger need to uh, to find that sense of meaning and purpose in their in their career. Uh, and I think others not, you know, and I'm one that really needed to feel it, you know, in his career. And I just, you know, you and I were both at Clorox and it was a great place to cut my teeth in marketing and learn the ropes. I was there almost seven years. But at the end of the day, I just didn't find it super satisfying. Like, and part of that was like, you know, corporate environment. I'm not a super great fit for that. Uh, and then a bit of part of it too, is just, I just need to, to be excited about what I'm doing. And part of that excitement is like feeling is believing in what it's, 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 you know, kind of ultimately pointed towards. Um, and, and so I just kind of was confronted with that for myself that, you know, I thought, okay, I really need to do something aligned with my values. And I, um, yeah. And I, I was fairly deliberate about how I tried to kind of, you know, hop on lily pads across the pond to get there, which I think is a kind of a good strategy to sort of pivoting and course correcting and just sort of moving closer to what you're going to. But I would also just say that, you know, the, I think human beings generally have a need, you know, to, to feel like their lives matter in the sense of purpose and meaning and, but not everybody I believe needs to get that through their career. There's no reason why folks can't get it too through volunteering or even, you know, family and being homemakers and raising children or, or uh, fostering animals. I have a lot of friends that I talk a lot about this stuff with, and there's so many other ways to get a sense of meaning and purpose and contribution in your life. And so I, I don't see a one size fits all. Everybody has to, 
you know, completely upend their career so that they can, you know, do this badge work of like, I work for a purpose-driven company. And in my case, it's felt really good and fulfilling, but, but I don't think it's a prescriptive counsel I would give. I really appreciate that because I think this is starting to become the, the whole purpose, looking for purpose in one's work, I think is starting to become similar to find your passion. So I'm not a, a, a huge fan of telling people find your passion because, you know, for some of us, we're wired to, yes, have have a passion early on in life. But for the majority of us, data shows that that is not the case and that mm-hmm. we often only get a little glimmer. And so it can it becomes this, I've said, like a passion paradox or, a, you know, this passion passion paralysis because people are kind of searching, searching, searching. And my concern is that purpose is starting to become a similar thing where people make it a must from their work. And I I think there is a way to create meaning in any kind of work. And there's been studies that have shown that as well. But I appreciate you bringing up that don't look at your job as being the only way that you can find it, that you likely can find it in other aspects of your life. So I think that's yeah. that's really great. I, I wanted to also come back to, because you're not the only one who's been on the podcast who's kind of said, hey, the corporate environment is not really the best fit for me. I, I mm-hmm. think I'm probably a little bit similar. I can operate within it. And I super appreciate the fact that, yes, I was also at Clorox for about six and a half years. I think it's one of the best run companies out there. I've really appreciated getting that experience. But sometimes people look back at those experiences and, and regret them or say, oh, why did I did that? do that? That was a should. When you think back on a corporate experience or having had those, even going back to Accenture, do you view it as, uh, it, how do you view it? Do you view it positively, negatively, or, or how do you put that into the context of your career and, and what it served for you? Yeah, looking back on it, I mean, candidly, there's a little bit of like, you know, negativity there, a little self, self-judgment, self-reproach of like, gosh, like I probably could have been more courageous, you know, of um, going with something smaller or even more um, uh, mission-driven to begin with, you know, since that was kind of a tug I felt, although I wasn't cl- as clear at that point of, around what that might be. Um, but it's hard to argue with the, you know, the result. And I, I think I've also just been on my own journey of, kind of, um, you know, where I grew up in Texas, I love Texas, but sometimes it can be a little bit of an island in areas, you know, a very insular Texas, you know, and (laughs) um, so I didn't have as big a view of the world, I think, as I could have. And uh, anyways, my thinking has evolved a lot um, over the years as I've just grown and, and, and kind of, and learned, you know, and been on my own journey of learning. And so at this point, you know, I, um, you know, I look back on that and I was just like, oh gosh, I wasn't especially brave or courageous, courageous in terms of going to these big companies to get like, you know, sort of the blue chip experience. But, you know, it's a little hard to argue with some of those results too, because some companies, even the smaller ones will look for some of those, um, uh, you know, things that seem to validate, you know, or be the shortcut heuristics that they can use to say, okay, this guy's probably like a smart guy, you know, or a, you know, a good worker because he's been at these companies. So at the end of the day, I try not to second guess. Yeah, makes sense. And it's, it's hard because we really have to dance between these societal norms and then what are, what is calling inside of us. And so um, I appreciate that perspective. Um, I wanted to come back to, you also said then, the consulting piece, like you, you did at some point then say, Hey, I, I want to find this meaning. I have this interest in kind of 
both mission-based, but also plant-based products. And I'm going to go ahead and throw a shingle out and, and take the, the consulting leap and go be proactive and intentional about gaining experience in this industry and category where I want to start putting myself in this in this direction and starting to build my career here. And I, I think that is courageous. And I know other people listening and other people that I've talked to have ambitions of doing this or how do I step off the corporate track and start to build something? And I think what's interesting about what you did was, okay, I'm going to intentionally jump off the, the corporate track, but you're back at a corporation now and you started in an, you know, it was well, entrepreneurial to start and you've now grown. Yeah. So, well, it um, wasn't, it wasn't corporate when I started. No, <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. But do you have any counsel on what that was like to take that leap into doing consulting and, you know, what even made you kind of think to do this and and to be like, I'm going to go ahead and do this to give myself the experience to put me on this path that I think is calling me right now? Well, to be honest, it was a lot messier than it might look like, you know, and some of it was sort of driven by need. Um, So I'll, I'll, briefly kind of give the narrative, you know, we like to tell these neat stories of our past and the path we follow, but a lot of it was messy and not uh, masterminded at all. But I, I quit Clorox to take a sabbatical. That was the plan. And, but right after I left, I got recruited by a former Clorox guy who'd gone to some of the brands that were spun off in a private equity deal. And he's like, I really need some consulting help with this brand. Would you actually come work for me? I heard you left. Clorox and the money was like too tempting and ticey. And I was like, Oh, I can save some more money, give myself a little bit more of buffer, uh, given that it could be a while till I get a job if when I come back from the sabbatical. Um, so I did that. And in the meantime, I bought a ticket to Thailand and I was planning the sabbatical was, I was planning to go work on this, uh, Buddhist commune, um, in Thailand. And, um, that did not end up coming to bear for two reasons. I met a girl and and then Thailand had the worst like rainstorms and monsoons like in the history of the country and horrible flooding in the, in the commune said things are just a mess not a good time to come and teach English and kind of learn our way of life and so I was like okay and then another way, random piece that kind of came into the fold was uh the song stuff the music stuff I'll just mention briefly as I've uh, starting when I moved in San Francisco 2005 I just was also looking for something uh that um you know, enrich my life. I was, to be honest, I was a little bit of a funk and living in San Francisco and new town and new friends. And my job was kind of corporate and I didn't love it, but it was good experience. And I liked people. So I, I kind of very consciously said, I'm going to focus on music and songwriting. And I've always loved it. And I did that. And long story short, I had been writing songs and sending them to people in the industry. And this publisher calls up one day who I had a relationship with at that point. She said, Hey, one of your songs is getting recorded by this major label artist. Um, which is what I've been working towards. It wasn't completely out of the blue, but I didn't expect it quite to happen then and there. And it did. And she was like, if you want to move to LA and do this full time, like here's your calling card. I can get you into writing sessions with producers and artists. And so I was like, you know, hell yeah. <laughs> so I was already on sabbatical. I'm like, this kind of seems like meant to be. So I did, I came to LA. I did that for a year and a half. We can come back and talk about that more if it's of interest, but it became apparent after having that and some other small successes um, that it was going to be, you know, very hard to like, you know, get a regular paycheck doing that. It's a very hit and miss game. And you really don't know if you're going to get that big hit that pays the bills and sets you up. 
Um, and so I needed to like start finding my way back into a career. You know, it's also a young person's game. And by this time I'm getting close to 40. So that's when I kind of went back to consulting. The, the deal after Clorox was kind of something that showed me, oh, like this is the thing. You can find consulting gigs and get paid well to do it. So I started, uh, that's when I was like, all right, I want to focus on plant-based. I started networking. I mean, don't love that word, but just reaching out to people in my network and saying, hey, I'm looking to pick up work. Um, and the rest, you kind of know those other companies I consulted for. So it's really driven out of like need. I need like a bridge to get some experience I want to get and figure out my way into doing something plant-based. Yeah. And I can imagine that just like you said, in making that choice to go on your first, again, in quotes, sabbatical, the backpacking, that it takes courage and it can be stressful as you're going along these this path and kind of navigating. And I think, thank you for being generous and, and being transparent with the messiness of it, because I think there's a reality to that as well. And I think part of maybe easing some of the tension around it for other people is to be transparent around that and to normalize it, perhaps. It's it's not always easy, but life isn't always easy. But yeah. it's, you know, taking that divergent path that aligns with you can also be a lot more fulfilling. And so um, when you think about and look back now to these steps that you took or how even you kind of managed through that these different transitions, is there any advice you might have for people who who might be going through a similar thing just to perhaps even either like, hey, here's a way to think about either experiments you could be doing or even how to manage the emotional side of going through some of these transitions? Yeah, um, maybe I'll come back to the emotional side. I don't feel like I'm especially good at that. You know, it definitely is filled with roller coasters and sleepless nights and heartache at times. Um, but in terms of like, like literally how to like stuff you can do, I am such a big advocate of, of reaching out to people, especially people in your network and just sharing with them, like what you're doing and, and what you're looking for. And you know, there's been books written about the power of like the second degree network, right? Not the first people, you know, I mean, that's good too. That's oftentimes where you start. But you may know 20 people pretty well, but those 20 people know another 20 and suddenly you're up at like 400 people who could be potential leads. And so, um, again, I don't love the network networking because it just sounds kind of smarmy, but the, 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 the principle behind it is that those who you have relationships and shared interests with, you know, are great people to reach out to and say, I'm looking to do this kind of stuff. Do you know of anything? Have you heard anything? Is there anyone you think I should talk to? And that's something that uh, has kind of come naturally to me, just sort of an instinctive thing. I love, I'm curious, I love talking to people about things that they're doing. And uh, so I think that is one of the single and most, perhaps most powerful things that that you can do. And also recognizing that sometimes it is, if you want to make a change, hopping, you know, from lily pad to lily pad across this big pond that you might want to get to is oftentimes the way it just plays out, you know, and every now and then people make a huge change and pivot and it works out. But in my case, it was, it was messy. And, uh, the people are, are the amazing bridges to help you get there. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think I, my guess is it's often more messy than what people seem to think. And like you said, you can always weave a very nice narrative uh, mm. as you're going along or at the end. Uh, and you said, I'm just curious if there's anything 
more to share around the networking sp- side in terms of what made it more comfortable for you. And you said, hey, if you're if you have a relationship with someone and it's shared interest, it makes it a lot. I, my impression is it makes it a lot easier to make that connection and not have it feel swarmy. <laughs> so yeah. are there is that how you kind of think about it? Or are there ways that you found for yourself that took away some of that negative connotation that networking tends to have? Yeah, I, I think I think because these were often people that I also I, I already was just uh, had some connection to. It wasn't too many people who I just had no connection to whatsoever. And in that way, that's I think the good kind of networking where you're just reaching out to people who are already friends and in your relationship circle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I will say I did use, um, I was looking at like the UT alumni database and my business school database. And so a lot of people have these uh, groups from their their school or other organizations that are affiliated with their trade, trade, trade organizations. And those are, those can be really great places to go to as well, because this matter of fact, those people are probably a little more likely to return an email or a phone call from someone where there's always already a, a common background, you know, or a, a shared, uh, shared history or shared organizational kind of piece. Yeah, that's a great reminder that people people probably have a lot more resources than they realize. So I appreciate you mentioning that. Um, one of the things before I get back to asking you a little bit about Beyond Meat, I'm curious about uh, this. You clearly are somebody who likes to learn and grow. And I understand you, you do tend to have a growth mindset. And I wonder if anything is, is that innate or is there something that kind of inspired that focus for you? Did somebody recommend like, Hey, along your career journey, always be learning or growing, or is that just something that you feel is natural for you? Mixed. I, I don't actually think I, um, I innately had a growth mindset. Like I do have a tendency sometimes, definitely a big tendency to like to worry, like the whole stressing myself into getting shingles was born out of worry and rather this sort of like abundance mindset, you know, and the attitude that I can grow into anything I want to do. Somewhere along the way, I did come upon like Carol Dweck and like that actual book, you know, Growth Mindset. And I read it and it made an impression on me that chiefly that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy uh the growth mindset you know if you believe you can you know you will it doesn't always mean that the aptitude is there that any sort of interest can be turned into skill because aptitude uh you know innate ability does matter but if that if you have some level of ability like believing that you can and you can grow into it is like just required it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if you even if you have the ability but you think you can't you won't so that was a huge aha in terms of adopting that mindset and then trying to put it into practice. But I'm someone who's had to remind myself of the growth mindset and like teach myself again and again, like, oh, I can learn like and challenge myself. This may sound silly, but during COVID things were so stagnant. I was like, why don't I try and start learning Chinese? So I downloaded Duolingo and was doing Chinese. And and it was awesome because it like, it demystified you know, this language that to me was just this like, you know, mind boggling constellation of characters. But then when you start to study it and you break it down, you understand a little bit of like the structure and how it works. Suddenly it's like, oh, this is like, this isn't like, yes, it's hard, but it's not like this crazy unknowable thing that I could never learn. And, you know, so 
proving to myself that I can grow and learn in ways that I kind of had a roadblock to thinking I could is one of the best ways to be like, okay, yeah, the growth mindset, it's still there. I can do this. Mm, I love that. And I think it's so important for us as we get further along in our careers to remind ourselves of that. Like uh, the dog can learn new tricks, you know, yes, like definitely. we we should not think of ourselves as not being capable of that. Um so I wanted to come come back to Beyond Meat. I'd be curious to just hear, especially in kind of having a full life, what it's been like to be on this ride at Beyond Meat, what it's been like to go through an IPO and kind of be in this hyper growth stage at a company. Yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. It's been so amazing, something I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, yeah, I I also think like an amazing good fortune, you know, I, I will say, I do believe in creating your own luck, but still luck is a factor, you know, the more, the more shots you take, the more you're putting yourself out there, the more chance there is for luck, which is just an odds game to begin with, you know, to happen. And so I, I did not end up at Beyond Meat by accident, you know, and so I do remind myself of that. But the fact that I I, I actually landed at Beyond Me per se was like remarkable. And, and there's, I think a lot of us like that. They got there not early days, not by accident, but there's no denying, like, you know, even though a lot of our fingerprints were on the company and how it developed and evolved, and certainly for me in marketing, there's no denying it's been just like unbelievable rocket ship to get to work on, right? And, uh, it's had a lot of, for me personally, like definitely intense, like, you know, the ups and downs is you're faced with all the challenges that come with being part of a startup and, and the fits and spurts of growth. And, uh, but, but ultimately, uh, probably a once in a lifetime experience. Yeah. Or something and I, like that. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it sounds just so amazing watching from the outside and kind of seeing what's been going on and establishing, frankly, helping to establish a new category, really. And um, it's pretty amazing. And I'm I'm curious, like, how did you find what did you do to sustain yourself while working during this crazy time. And I think that's continuing. I mean, you're you're leading international marketing now and helping to grow the company outside of the United States as well. What do you do to kind of keep yourself sustained and going? I mean, you even had time to learn Chinese or start to learn Chinese. Well, that was just, to be honest, more recently during COVID, I can come back. Actually, I will comment on that. But yeah, I, I recharge a lot through just being physically active and being outdoors. Like that for me is huge, you know? Um, and, and so I will say at times, like having, having that outlet and that balance was tricky. Uh, but I will say, you know, our, our CEO is someone who really prioritizes Ethan Brown and prioritizes uh, family. And, um, so it wasn't the norm that I was getting texts, uh, late at night and on the weekends. It definitely was sometimes, you know, just because the volume of work. Yes, I did have to work nights and weekends, but that was me. It felt like me a lot of times driving that just because I, I needed to. Um, I was pretty good about taking Saturdays off at a minimum and using that time to get outside, go for a hike, be with friends, exercise. During the weeks, I was pretty good about exercising too. Is that just sort of for me, relieves stress, re-energizes. Re that's I think part of the thing that's amazing about exercise for those who um, are drawn to it. Um, you know, so yeah, it was, a, I would say during that very early time to like post IPO, it was like crazy, crazy intense. Um, one of the beautiful things about COVID is that suddenly like the, 
10 hours a week that I was commuting, you know, it's like a full work day. I was spending driving up and down the 405, like you get that time back, you know? And so suddenly you not only have a, that time back, but like the psychic energy to, you know, open up an app, you know, in the evening, cause you're not exhausted, you know, from commuting to, to spend 30 minutes, you know, trying to learn a little Chinese. Uh, so, so that, and I think a lot of people experience just that, that lifestyle gain, during during COVID of not being so burnt from the, you know, frankly commuting. I think it's a huge thing, huge thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I what I what's interesting in terms of what you're describing to me too, if I pull a few things together, is that I think oftentimes when we get so busy that the idea of putting something else into the mix of one's day feels like it's going to overwhelm more. And what I hear you describe is, hey, if you can carve out some time for the exercise, if you can carve out some time for, say, learning Chinese, or I know you also do investing, you are, I don't know if you're still doing songwriting or not, but I'm curious if these things of like adding other things in, do they actually make the whole work better as opposed to, hey, being singularly focused, even if work is demanding, actually doesn't help us function quite as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they do help. Personally, I get fuel from having these other interests and having a little bit of, uh, channeling a little bit of my time and energy to do it. It just fuels me personally. Some people are very good at just being one track focus. And I think I'm a little ADD in a way (laughs) that I just need some of these other interests. But I also say like, they they also really can compete for each other. I know I did not I did not pick up my guitar or write a song for the better part of five and a half six years. Uh, it, it beyond me. It was just a full stop on that. I just did not have the the psychic you know bandwidth to do it. Um, and 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 that was you know that was definitely you miss you miss that. But I was coping in other ways. Um, yeah, I was coping in other ways. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, as we start to get to the end, well, I'm curious if you were to kind of looking at the arc of your career and what you've experienced, if you were to give any tips to people and building a fulfilling, sustainable career, what counsel might you have for them? Well, definitely the, I will well, say this, I'm a little cautious in giving like one size fits all like one liner advice. Cause so much, you know, I think has to be given in context and also with a lot of questions from the advice giver to the recipient, but I, I, it's hard to go wrong with the relationships piece. I think I was, uh, I mentioned of just talking to people, you know, and, and you can, you, you know, there's this idea of conducting experiments when you're thinking about making a change and like you can actually conduct an amazing little thought experiment. I think just talking to someone maybe is doing the job you're doing. And, uh, there's actually research I've read that talking to someone who's similar to you doing a job you might want to do and their happiness level is incredibly predictive of your own happiness level doing that job, which is kind of a remarkable, um, remarkable thing. Um, the other thing I, I guess advice I wished I'd given myself earlier is this Martin Luther King quote of like, you don't have to see the whole staircase, just the next step. And, you know, he was coming at it for a much, you know, bigger and more ambitious and, and beautiful sort of way, his vision. But I think it's true of our careers too, that I tend to be someone who like wants to see the whole staircase and stresses over needing to see the whole staircase. But in reality, the only way change happens is, is sort of step-by-step, step, just matter of factly. So why not focus on that next step, that lily pad in front of you that you're going to get to that 
moves you in the direction of where you're trying to go. And that's been a, a mantra that I remind myself of when I'm stressing. It's like, all right, just what's that next step? Focus on that. Uh, I think both of those are really sound advice. And I also really appreciate you calling out to begin with. And others have said this on the podcast too, which is don't, you know, be careful about blanket advice too. And I do think there's a lot to be said about, you know, personalizing it for oneself and really knowing oneself and and taking that into consideration. So uh, I'm curious, and this is probably my last question for you, just is to that point of what's next, what, what do you see next for yourself? Well, I, I recently joined the board of a nonprofit for education that's taking a kind of a unique venture philanthropy approach to bringing education to impoverished communities around the world, uh, children's education, to try and have an early intervention change in the trajectory of young people's lives. And I just, I honestly think that's... Um, Obviously, I've believed in plant-based for a host of reasons, health, animal welfare, environmentalism, all that. It's great. But I think education is probably the single biggest point of leverage that we can have in terms of changing the world positively and, and also changing people's lives. So big believer in that. And I'm excited to explore that even more, you know, and just begin on this board was the first next, first next step there. Um, also the investing thing is exciting. I invested in a plant-based shoe company, uh, recently, uh, about a year and a half ago, and they just launched this past spring and that's super fulfilling. The company's called Kangos, uh, K-E-N-G-O-S.com if anyone's interested, but they're doing some real innovation and trying to solve the problem of gajillions of shoes ending up in landfills that are made from petrochemicals. And they've made a shoe that's based on simple ingredients, uh, plant-based ingredients. It's a cool shoe. I, I wear them. So more of that kind of stuff, like that's really exciting to me. And then of course I do have creative projects, you know, in mind that I just have no, you know, time or bandwidth to pursue. Uh, and then the personal relationship side is important to me. I'm, uh, you know, I'd like to find my person and, and start a family in the coming years. And, and that needs to be a priority. I have, you know, I'm a late bloomer in ways, uh, you know, I've focused and prioritized other things. I think I'm really ready to, to, to sort of bring that part into my life. It's missing. Mm, it's fabulous. Well, thank you. Well, this is such, I, I so appreciate you just being willing to share your journey and have this conversation. I've loved it. And I so appreciate all that you've shared uh, with our listeners to, to be able to take inspiration from from how you've managed your career and, and what you've created for your life. So thank you so much for being on with me today. My pleasure, Kathy. It's been so fun to be here and, uh, and share and uh, got me thinking. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.